0: Hey, welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. I'm your host, Crystal. And this week, I want to discuss President Biden's student loan forgiveness program. I'm having this conversation this week because next week, the Supreme Court of the United States is set to hear legal arguments against the president's plan. Now, let's rewind a little back to 2020, actually, when President Trump was still the president in office. There was a hold on student loan forgiveness. We have to think about, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. People are losing jobs. Businesses are closing down. And there was a loan deferment in place, put in place rather. And that loan deferment or that loan repayment, forbearance, however you want to categorize and name it, it has been in place since the fall of 2020. Rightfully so, because so many Americans who are in debt because of student loan forgiveness have had that pain, that financial burden or pain alleviated because the plan has really, it really wasn't in place. Actually, what President Biden did once he came into office, he continued to just defer, defer, defer. So he would move back the date where borrowers would have to begin repaying their student loans. Well, last year, the president announced his official loan forgiveness plan. He announced that $20,000 would be forgiven for people who are making less than $150,000. That $20,000 would also be forgiven for people who are recipients of Pell Grants. I was a recipient of a Pell Grant. Thankfully, I've already paid back my student loans, but I understand how much this debt can cause any type of person who's thinking about their financial future, trying to make plans as they move forward. Well, after the president announced his plan, Republicans, some Republicans, I want to be careful to say, decided that this was not a piece of legislation that they were down with. (laughs) And so they launched an effort to challenge this plan. And now we're at the Supreme Court level where SCOTUS is going to hear official arguments against and for it and make a final decision. Well, I have lots of thoughts and questions about it. And so who better to talk to about this than the Center for Responsible Lending? I'm speaking today with Jalen Herbin, and he will break down why next week's hearing about student loan forgiveness is so important, not only to borrowers, but also elected officials and how we think about education in this country so welcome to the show Jalen
1: thank you for having me
0: now before we get into this conversation about student loans can you share with our listeners what does the Center for Responsible Lending do
1: so Center for Responsible Lending or you'll hear me say CRL okay um, we are a policy research hub most people see the lending and think automatically that we're like a bank um Not technically, we are associated. We got our roots and groundings from self-help credit union, self-help federal credit union is what launched us, but we are the policy research arm of them. um, Where we look to end predatory lending practices within communities of color. From student loans to payday lending, small dollar mortgages, we look to make sure that there are fair and equitable practices and ensure that people of color are being protected first and foremost.
0: Well, thank you for that work, because people of color have been um, it's been challenging with the financial system. And there's a documented and reported history and we can get into a number of different topics around black people, people of color and the financial institutions in America. But today's conversation is about student loans, we already know next week the Supreme Court of the United States or SCOTUS is holding the hearing, um, you know, where they will hear both sides of the aisle on And when I say both sides, of the, both sides of the aisle, I mean both for and against President Biden's student loan forgiveness program. And so could you just bring our listeners up to date about how this case came to be and why is it before the Supreme Court? Like, this seems like something that should be easy and that people would right. be on board with. But it's actually a hearing that the panel is taking up this year.
1: Absolutely. And I think what we have to do is really go back and talk. Um, Because this has been a long time in the making. This has been something that for CRL, we have been working on this campaign for 10 plus years um, to ensure that borrowers were able to get student debt relief. And finally, in last August, President Biden announced, hey, we're going to offer $10,000 of student debt if you make $125,000 or less, or if per household, if you make $250,000 in income. But if you also receive the Pell Grant, then you will receive an additional ten thousand dollars. So you could either get ten or either twenty thousand dollars of student debt cancellation, which ultimately I want to make clear that that is not the ceiling. People think, oh, this is the the end. All this is the only relief that we're gonna get. No, it's not. Um, we also have the income-driven repayment program that it was being modified and changed. There was actually a rulemaking proposal that just took place, and then as well as there's still more advocacy and more work to be done. So now that we got to SCOTUS, it has been one of the things where we worked so hard to have this relief be brought forth. Um, And a lot of us in the coalition looked at this this as phase one, Mm -hmm. just getting this to be history. Because now that you are able to advocate for something and you're able to get this introduction in, was hoping to have it executed as far as in the sense of being able to offer that relief, then we can go for and ask for another round, or we can ask for even more. CRL, we've always advocated for $50,000 of student debt because we know that that is where we will actually bridge the racial wealth gap. That is where Absolutely. we'll start to see the change take place and where we'll see people of color be able to benefit from um, student debt relief. Now, don't get me wrong, the ten dollars or $20,000 is a great first start, right. but there's more to be done. So now with SCOTUS being in the picture, now we're in the process of making sure that they're able to understand what is at stake here even now going to SCOTUS, SCOTUS is not going to review whether or not this is legally can happen or if it cannot happen. They're simply there to underneath two ways, standing and merit. They want to make sure that this is the right place that can actually hear this case. If it's not the right court, then they'll send it back down. And then merit is is based off of, was this one of the battles where everybody was not included in this? Um, Or uh, making sure that you know, there's no other injury, so to speak, that will take place. Um, and so I think one of the things that we have to look at now is with SCOTUS, you had the opportunity to, to make a, a credible like, decision. This mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, history. And I find it ironic that it takes place in the middle of Black History Month um, because That's of right. the fact that you look at Brown versus versus the Board of Education. You look at so many other historical cases that have entered into this um, SCOTUS historical building. But the impact that this is going to have on communities of color, not just the black community, but the Latin community Mm -hmm. um, and many more communities as well, will be able to to be able to really enjoy life. And I I go back to the remarks that I gave at the White House. It's opening up a door of opportunity.
0: You know, there was a lot that you just said in that first (laughs) opening. (laughs) So we got to break down some of it. So one, you spoke about the actual case being a case of standing in merit. I think that's important that we have to pull out of that because there is a a case that's being brought forward from Texas borrowers who say that they are left out of this. So can, when you say standing in merit, just for people who may not understand the legal jargon, what are you saying? And, I, and I'm bringing up Texas because that's one instance. There are also six states, if I'm not mistaken, that include Nebraska and Missouri, who've also said that they don't believe that this plan is as inclusive or it's the right thing for the Biden administration to do. So I'd like you to just break down, like, what do you mean when you say the standing and merit? And then I have one other thing I'll come back to that you spoke about, about why this case is important and how it will help borrowers moving forward in the future.
1: So that's a great question. And I'm going to put it to you um, this way. Standing is a legal term which determines whether the party bringing the lawsuit has the right to do so. Um, So when we look at standing, it is one of those questions of, are you the right party or the right person to bring Mm -hmm. this matter to this courtroom? Is it someone or should it be someone else in this case? So when you look at the first case that you brought up was it was not inclusive to all borrowers.
0: That's the Texas case, correct? Right. Okay. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, that case was one where it was two bars that came together. One said that they didn't receive the Pell Grant. So they didn't get to receive the maximum amount of relief. Um, Another (laughs) borrower said that they didn't qualify because they make more than the income Mm -hmm. threshold. Um, And while yes, one of the things that we have advocated for was that there should be no threshold. Again, this is just the starting point. And I think that's what people failed to realize is that this was just a starting point. This wasn't the end all be all. Um, And then also in this case, it was a matter of was there authority overreach? Um, A lot of people were saying that President Biden, that's the the next case with the states, that President Biden was overreaching his authority in these matters. It is a sense of there is the possibility to do this. And I think uh, was what I'm thinking about here is there was a memo that President Biden had asked to be written earlier on in 2022, mm-hmm. that was actually, if people go in back and look at it, it was released, but it was redacted. Um, and in that memo, it was just a pink redaction. And so that alerted all of us that he either clearly has the power to do this mm-hmm. because he sat on it for so long. And right. Now, in a, the policy person that understands this a little bit, one of the things that had to lead up to this was there was a lot of other things that had to take place first. We had the Corinthian bars. They had to have their student loans and stuff discharged first before you could finally get to student debt cancellation. But then it's also political as well. Of course. It was, hey, you, you want to get re you need, you know, some, some good votes, millennials and everybody else to get out here and say, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for you. So that was something else that took place.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, millennials, I'm a millennial, my older millennial, but I'm still in my 30s and we are becoming a big voting block in this country and you know you talked about this being a political issue and i just want our our listeners to know like Why would anyone who is an elected official, why would they be opposed to this? This is not a partisan issue. This isn't something that just affects a a particular demographic of people. Obviously, it affects people who've decided to matriculate through some type of higher education beyond high school. But I really don't understand why anyone would be opposed to this at all, because it helps their constituents. It literally will help in the states of nebraska in the states of missouri and the other four states that have joined in this case this is helpful to the constituents there so I, i'm can you even help us understand like why would anyone be opposed to this and number 2 many of the elected officials and i'm i'm calling out specifically sitting members of congress who have said that, you know, this is unconstitutional or this is something that the Biden administration should not do. Many of our elected officials are independently wealthy. They are millionaires and they are complaining about ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars. I was a recipient of the Pell Grant. I'm thankful for that free money. And it wasn't a lot, but it was it helped. It goes towards the bottom line of a person who's trying to get a college education, which is something that We promote as part of the American dream, go to school, you know, get a college education, get a good job, you know, and then you're you're saddled in debt afterwards. So how is it that we have multimillionaires who are sitting in Congress, duly elected, but yet they're complaining about ten thousand dollars? They're complaining about twenty thousand dollars. This does not make sense.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something that we've been fighting this whole entire campaign is We've had too many alleged officials either are against it or they were quiet. Now, granted, we did have a great number that supported this. I mean, they still do support student debt relief. And when you look at, you know, some of the ones that have been vocal about it and against student debt relief, they look at it as far as we don't need student debt relief. We need to revamp our federal aid system. That is correct.
0: True, true. We do
1: need to revamp it. Mm -hmm. We do need to overhaul our public service loan forgiveness program. We do need to overhaul our income driven repayment, which we are doing now currently in rulemaking process, in the proposed rulemaking. Um, So a lot of us have written up comments and saying what we support. But one thing that we also got to keep in mind here is the cost of tuition, the cost of our economy and the inflation that we currently live in is not the same when they went to school. That's right. It was easier to say for... A sharecropper or for a farmer to say, oh yeah, I can't afford to send my child to school because it's only $2,000 a year in tuition. Mm-hmm. You're looking at $20,000, $25,000 for a semester.
0: semester. So mm-hmm. a
1: year you're looking at forty-five dollars to $50,000, which is the average income that a household is making, especially communities of color. That's so right. when you look at these communities of color, which are middle-class working families that are living some paycheck to paycheck to make ends meet, Yes, they have to take out the debt. I, I'll speak for myself. Uh, I remember when I had to go to school, my parents had to take out a parent plus loan mm-hmm. to help pay for me to go to college outside of what was not covered. And even though when you go through your financial aid system, it says your fam- estimated family cost will be $0 or contribution will be $0. Right. That's not necessarily true. That's Because right. the reality is we got eggs now that are costing $8 a carton. And gas is around $4 or $5 a carton. So when you look at this, and then you also have to understand The mindset of the school, which is operated as a business, they have an annual revenue that they have to continue to work off of for their budget. So, of course, they don't increase their tuition. So I say to those policymakers, Mm -hmm. we need cancellation first to ensure that we do not get back to this $1.9 trillion of student debt. But then we also need to make sure that we are creating a federal student aid that is a debt free system. And by debt free, meaning that it is an affordable way to repay your student loans if you take it out. It is the interest rates that are really killing our of color because right. in the process and the research that CRL has done, we realized that in a 13 years after a student has graduated college, the white male has paid almost paid off half of their student loan, if not even close to 90% of their student loan within that 13-year span, while for the Black woman, it has increased yeah. by an average of about 20%, 13%, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is... Those numbers right there are alarming because that's why we're asking for student debt cancellation. Absolutely, and that's why we're asking for to revamp these systems.
0: I listened to you tell your story, and I I can't help but also you know bring in my my mom also took out an additional parent plus loan, and again, thankfully, I've been able to pay back the loan that I took out plus my mom's loan. So we are both you know fully debt free of any type of student loans. But I agree with you in that it's the interest. It's the cost of college. It's the cost of trade school. It's all of these things that I don't think when you're an elected official, sometimes you are in tune with what the community is actually facing. You brought up inflation. You brought up the cost of eggs. You brought up the cost of gas. All of those things. And and that's enough for a single person. Imagine if you're a family of four or a family of five or a family of seven, and you have all of those things on top of the repayment it becomes cost prohibitive. It becomes a challenge. And so what what happens next week once SCOTUS hears, you know, both sides of the argument, what do you think is next if they make a decision by June? Does the president continue to punt repayment if you know the legal ground is not upheld? Or will we actually have this plan kick off, have people who've applied Be granted and so that they can move forward with actually forgiving this debt. What's next?
1: Yeah. So I think the thing about it, and it goes back to your question earlier about the standing versus merits. We're hoping that when they do go to this case, that they understand that the standing of this case was that in both cases, the courts ruled in the right decision. Um, We pray that SCOTUS will now be able to say, okay, Hey, you are right. This was the case and send it back down or, Decline it, and based off of the merits, and when you look at the merits, it simply means that the case has been decided by the facts. The judge is basing off of the facts of the case, Um, and then that's where you know it becomes a little bit more of a back and forth legal battle between the facts um, that the DOJ and the Department of Education will have to provide to the Supreme Court. Now, the next steps, as you said, where do we go from here? Right. Um, One of the things that I have been advocating and that I have been telling bars is make sure you know who your servicer is currently. You need to know that first and foremost, because there has been a shift in the contracts between the federal student aid system and who the services are. Many people may think that, had yeah, maybe, no, maybe it's no longer a servicer. You may right. have aid advantage. Um, so knowing who your servicer is, knowing what your account is by off of your recollection, if you have, are, you know, a good steward and you keep up with your, your balance, then you should know what your balance is and how much you should have left. We've been in a payment pause for almost two and a half years now. So, of course, there has been no payments being made but you also need to know where your balance currently is. Mm -hmm. And then also see, can you get enrolled in the IDR plan? Is that feasible for your budget? What's the
0: IDR plan?
1: So that's income driven repayment. That is a plan where it is a 20, 25 year plan based off of your um, debt to income. You have to recertify every year, Mm -hmm. but they will give you a balance of what your monthly payment could be. You could get, receive a $0 payment. You could have a $10 payment a month, but for 20 to 25 years, you have to make these consecutive payments. After you have completed those consecutive payments and done the time, um, then your student debt will be erased um, and clean. So one of the things that President Biden announced in August was also that he was going to decrease the the way that they balance or they, they weigh your monthly payments. So it used to be based off a 10% discretionary income for undergraduate loans. That has now decreased to 5%. Wow, that's great. Payments tremendously. And mm-hmm. then- if you have graduate loans, then that's about eight percent. But then, if you have undergrad and graduate, it's like seven point two five percent. They balance those out, so that's what your discretionary income will be when they look to balance out and give you your, calculate your monthly payments. Uh, so that was a great first step that we've seen in IDR. But you could, if you're a public service working, public service working mean a teacher, nonprofit, military, uh, government, healthcare worker, government, mm-hmm. uh, whatever level of government actually state. Um, local as well as federal, you can apply for public service loan forgiveness program, which is PSLF. PSLF is a 10-year program where if you have worked for 10 years Mm -hmm. um, for one of these entities, um, and AmeriCorps, it qualifies as one of these two, Teach for America as well. That's great. Then you will be able to 10 years and 10 years of consecutive payments as well. Mm -hmm. So that's 120 payments consecutively. And as of 10 years, you will have your student daddy erased and clean as well.
0: Well, that's great. I hope people who are listening that have worked in these type of public sectors understand right. the law, the rules, and understand the different types of programs that exist to help them alleviate many of these financial burdens that they're feeling because of student loans. So next week, the Supreme Court will hear this case. We'll likely maybe get a ruling by June. And hopefully if it's, you know, upheld, this plan will actually begin to roll out in in full force. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So I will say this. If they if the SCOTUS decides in the Biden administration's favor, they've already started looking and reviewing at the applications that were already submitted. Okay. Notify the service to go ahead and execute if if they are granted in their favor. That does mean that if they do grant in their favor they will open the application process back up. But because the, of this temporary injunction to hold it, they had to take down the application. So that is something that borrowers should be mindful of um, is that if it is granted and you did not do the application, go and do the application. You will have um, the timeframe will open back up and they will update us on that timeframe. Mm-hmm. Initially it was until November of this year. Um, so I do expect that they probably will extend uh, that out a little bit, mm-hmm. but they want to make sure that borrowers understand that that is something that will take place. Now, if it doesn't happen, then we will go back. And I'm pretty sure the Biden administration, as far as the rest of the coalition as well, we will go back and continue to advocate for student debt relief and look at other legal routes that we can take that will ensure that we can get the relief that is needed and that was that was a policy policy. Point or agenda for President
0: Biden? It was a promise. It was a it promise. Was. <laughs> yeah, and we
1: want to make sure that we hold him accountable to that promise. But we also, it's more than just a promise. Mm-hmm. It's opportunity. It is mm-hmm. hope, and it is also a sense of freedom. Um, the student debt burden is something that it's multi generational. It has our families attached to it. It has our grandparents. we seeing that the older generations are having Social Security garnished because of taking out student loans. Not just for them, but because they took it out for their grandchild or for their their child. Right. Um, but then also, like me, you discuss you have parent plus loans. Mm-hmm. That is holding families back from putting down a down payment on a home or starting a business or being able to take just a simple vacation a year because you have $300, $500 monthly payments right. that are coming out of their checks.
0: You already told us that people have not had to pay or repay their loans. They've been in forbearance since the pandemic started in 2020. But if SCOTUS does not rule in favor of the Biden administration, which we hope that they do, then the repayment process could start as early as August if it's not punted again, which we we already know it's been punted many, many times, thankfully, because obviously the Biden administration has a heart. <laughs> and right, we have right. to, you know, shout out the administration for doing that. But I do want to just let people know that there are two sides of this. Like, they could rule in favor, they could also rule that it's not in favor. And then we have to rescramble and reshuffle. And people like you who are focused specifically on this issue will go back to the drawing board. But for the borrower who is listening, they're thinking about, well, what happens if it doesn't happen in our favor? When will we have to potentially think about having to begin repayment again?
1: Absolutely. And I think that is something that every borrower is cognizant of. Every borrower is, I don't want to say it's a fearful mindset, but it's one of preparation. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, yes. Right now, the payment pause is is speculated to resume back on June 30th, 2023, but it can be extended. Um, And I do believe that that is an option on the table for the Biden administration, that if they don't receive the decision in their favor that they would like to see, then yeah, we can anticipate a payment extension until we are able to see what is the next student debt forgiveness plan um, that they will introduce based off of the legal reasonings that they receive back from uh, the legal decision that they receive back from SCOTUS. So I do anticipate that we can see another payment (laughs) extension um, as well, but that is not a bad thing. That is actually a good thing because one thing that we don't want is for bars to resume payment Mm -hmm. and then they go into default on their payments. And then we open up another can of worms with having bars that were not ready because they were anticipating this 10 or $20,000 of student debt relief. And they were anticipating to have lower payments, Mm -hmm. but now the payments resume, they are faulted. And now we are going back to an even bigger disaster because one thing that we know is that when a bar defaults on their payment, that creates a bigger financial burden for them to get out of and then to resume payments and to get back, put back in good standing.
0: To know that you haven't had to pay something monthly for three years, that's a big deal. So I'm, I'm thankful that you have been, you know, breaking it down again, this is Jalen Herbin, from the Center for Responsible Lending, who has been sharing with the latest about this student loan forgiveness program. So Jalen, as our conversation comes to a close, is there anything else you think listeners need to understand about this case? Why they should pay attention, even if it doesn't affect them personally I'm sure we all know someone who has been burdened by student loan debt in this country. And so what is the one thing or two or three things, if you will, that people need to know and why they should be paying attention to this case next week?
1: Yeah. So one I would like to start off with share your story. Mm -hmm. Your story is what's going to influence the decision makers. Your story is what's going to be able to say, okay, hey, this is not just a race problem which it is a race problem, but it's not just race. This is also a multi-generational, multi-campaign burden, excuse me, mm-hmm. crisis that is impacting millions of people. And so we see that and we want you to share your story. Next thing, like I said, said was make sure you're staying up to date, know who your servicers are, are, and mm-hmm. being able to have contact with them. Um, after you do that, pay attention to any mail or communications that you may have received from the Department of Education as well. That is going to be key because you will need to know when payments do restart. You need to know if you did qualify for the public service loan forgiveness waiver, if you submitted that, mm-hmm. or if you did apply for IDR or PSLF. Then log into your FSA account, verify your information, make sure they have the most accurate information for you. So then you can enroll in these programs as well. And then, like I said, lastly, check for the eligibility. But going a step further, what I will share is this. Student debt is something that impacts everybody, those who don't have it, and those who do have it. Being able to work together and collaborate to make sure that we create a system that is fair and inclusive, but also making sure that we are able to help the next generation because they will have school that they will have to go for afterwards. Whether it may be a community college or whether it may be a trade school, a for-profit institution, or a four-year institution, we need to ensure that they are able to have an affordable higher education system Mm -hmm. that will allow them to achieve their dreams and shoot for the stars.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing your information and what you do. And thank you again for the work that the center for responsible lending is doing around student loan forgiveness. And I hope listeners have learned something today about this conversation and pay attention next week. When SCOTUS takes this case up, Because as Jalen just said, it not only affects borrowers, but everyone who is in the financial system in the United States. So thank you again for stopping by, sharing this knowledge with us today. And we are hoping for a positive outcome in the case next week.
1: One thing I would like to say, sure, their NPC will be hosting a rally on the 28th outside of the Supreme Court from 8 a.m. to noon. So stop by and be a part of it.
0: February the 28th, 8 a.m. to 12 noon, stop by SCOTUS and join in for the Center for Responsible Lending's rally about this case. That's a way you can find out information about it and going to the website as well.
1: ResponsibleLending.org or on social media CRL online.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Jalen. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to the Crystal Night Show.